Hello and welcome to the PhD Life Raft podcast. I'm Emma Brzezinski and today I'm talking to the fabulous Sam Belfarge. Sam identifies as a working class academic and we talk about her own story and her journey into her PhD project and also reflect on themes that have come up throughout her life. There is so much uh, wisdom and encouragement here, so I do hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you so much for being here. I was just saying how much I've been looking forward to talking to you. Um, and really, like we we just we always have a little bit of a chat before we start recording, and we would say that actually the main body of what we're talking about today really is your story. And you kind of reached out and very generously said that you'd be happy to talk about um your experiences and I was just like, oh yes, please, this would be awesome. So we're gonna really talk about coming from a working class background and being in academia. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you, Emma. Yeah, so I was, again, I was just saying before this call started that I feel a bit uncomfortable talking about it, um, that I have this identity as being um, a working class academic and that I've come from a working class background because it's only just something that I've really, really recently connected into and have started saying out loud because... I just, throughout my whole life, like from secondary school, trying to go to college, trying to go to university, I always felt like I didn't fit in, but I couldn't really work out what it was. I didn't really know what it was until I started my PhD in January this year. So I am a really new PhD student. Um, So, yeah, I I contacted you, Emma, to say, oh, I think it would be really great to have an episode on uh, being a working class academic and what that means and what support is out there because there actually is some really great support and you were like okay like are you up for that and I was like oh okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> don't approach actually... me with these ideas because I'll just ask you to do them <laughs> yeah I was like, oh, actually yes that would be that would be really great so I wanted to share that um that there's not really a definition for what it means to be a working class academic, but I identify as that as I grew up in a council house in a city, um, you know, in relative poverty, and I'm first generation university student. So to me, that's my identity now, which I've always been very embarrassed about, and it's been really quite easy for me to hide it I've got this accent that's quite generic it doesn't really pinpoint me to any area and I've always just kind of been a bit quiet and kept my head down and I don't think people really noticed where I was from or what my background might be um but I just want to tell you a little bit about that so at secondary school um I did okay but I didn't have a family that valued education it was never the kind of emphasis or expectation wasn't on me to study, to revise, to try. So got through secondary school, okay, but, you know, didn't really try, which was, you know, okay for me at that time. So then I thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll try going to college. And I went to a college that um, there were no registers and the emphasis was on you to be responsible for your learning 
that didn't go well for me and I had dropped out by October half term so that you know that having responsibility and motivation to learn wasn't with me then but I had started volunteering and this is something that has actually I I just I was just thinking about this I was like oh actually that's been a thread throughout my whole life so I started volunteering when I was 16 at a homeless shelter and I felt quite um like a part of that that environment like being able to volunteer and help others Mm. felt quite nice and I I felt like I I was young to be volunteering there but I still felt like I fitted in quite well but again my parents and my family weren't particularly supportive of it they were like you can do it if you want it's it's up to you but it's you know they weren't driving me there or giving me a lift or anything I was getting the bus and Mm. doing it kind of on my own Mm. um so yeah I dropped out of college carried on volunteering tried a different college the following year which was you know it had some more rules it was you need to be here we're going to take a register we're going to check that you're doing some homework and I was like okay this is better for me but I still left after two years without any Mm A-levels so I didn't even try to take any which is another theme that comes across when I move on to what happened at university so I did two years there but didn't leave with any A-levels I did well in um, an AS course in communication studies. I got an A and the same at school, like I'd done really well in photography and food technology. So these more creative vocational things I'd done okay in, um, but not necessarily in what you would call academic subjects. Um, So then I, my (laughs) I don't even know where this idea came from but I had this idea that I wanted to be a dietitian and I I, honestly I don't know where that came from that was just something that I'd kind of pulled out of the air and I was like yeah okay I'm going to study nutritional science at university but it means I need to do an access course I need to do biology chemistry and maths um, which I hadn't done particularly well in when I'd 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 passed them at school but only as the bare minimum so went on to an access course um, and I did quite well in that because it was full of other people who had had either tried other careers and were going into an access course or the same as me hadn't done very well at school or at college and were trying again so it was kind of like this um, I'd describe it as a second chance really and I did I really enjoyed that year But then what happened was I was due to go to a university to study nutritional science and they pulled it. The summer I was due to go, the university said, we're not running that course. We just don't have enough interest in it. So they'd offered me um, a couple of alternatives, but I was like, "Mm, no, it's not really what I want to do. I, I, I want to study nutritional science. So I went through clearing, which actually was... It was a good thing in one sense, but I went to a un- I went to a Russell Group University. I got in through clearing. I'm not 100% sure how because I did not do very well at the interview. I felt very out of my depth, very uncomfortable, um, and I didn't know anyone else going there. Whereas the other university, a couple of people I'd met on this access course were going to be going to the same university. So I'd started again without knowing anyone, which was the same every time at college. I wasn't going with anyone I knew. And then I was going to start university again, kind of alone, I suppose. Mm. And the other thing about that was I, uh, 
I felt like I didn't fit in with the 18-year-olds that were there because I was, I was a, a few years older. Yeah. But I also didn't fit in with the mature students who had probably already had careers or tried different jobs and then were coming back to right. university. So I felt I was in this really weird space where I didn't fit in. Right. And I was there for three years. Um, in my first year, I, I tried my hardest, but having this working class background I really lost my voice and I felt like I couldn't ask questions I couldn't say that I didn't understand I couldn't say that I was stuck because then people would know that I wasn't very smart that Mm. I hadn't done well at school so I just didn't say anything and that was really I think kind of how it all came unraveled for me really so and and that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast because to say that if you're in that situation like I am or you know someone in your family or a friend or a friend's son or daughter going through that like it's so important to just let someone else know that it's difficult for you for whatever reason there's loads of reasons why it might be difficult for you but not speaking out at that time and because I didn't have family support they weren't you know how are you how's your course going they had no interest they didn't think I should be there they felt I should be working or like in their eyes doing something more useful with my time and more productive so without that support I didn't I just went along kind of silently and so first year tried passed my exams just about got into the second year and I took a job in a homeless hostel and I felt again that I fitted in with those other people that were working there that I had such a great time in that job I would work like 12 hour shifts on a Saturday and another 12 hours on a Sunday because I felt that I was um kind of valued there I felt Mm. like I was giving something doing something that was worthwhile and I I really enjoyed it Mm. but obviously that didn't help my studies at all as you can imagine I spent all my spare time working and not studying so there was a module in my in the second year again I just just about scraped by in my third year I took a module it was called teaching maths but it was actually I taught biology in a college and it was again I got my highest grade I got a distinction on it and I was like okay there's something in this I'm okay at teaching I'm okay at being reflective in what I'm doing but I don't have the confidence or the skills to ask for help in the, so the other modules I were doing were with lots of people that had been to private school, lots of people that had wanted to study medicine but hadn't got in. So they took a biomedical sciences course. So the kind of expectations and the how other students were working and presenting themselves, I just felt like I couldn't even go to them for help. I, couldn't, I felt like I couldn't even speak to my peers for support. So very kind of quietly disappeared into my third year that I actually didn't sit my exams. I didn't even go to them. Yeah. So I felt like I I remember waking up in the day and I just thought, I've got nothing to say in these exams. I've got nothing I can answer. I just don't know enough. And I did still at that point, I didn't reach out to anybody. Mm. And I think that's such a shame because I could have had a very, very different experience if I'd spoken up or if I'd found somebody that would have supported me. And that's another reason for doing this podcast. Like if someone's listening to this and thinking, oh, I just need to 
speak to someone but I don't know who like reaching out to you or reaching out to me on Twitter and helping you find the right people like it's totally possible and there yeah. will be people out there that can support you Definitely. like I believe that 100% Definitely. Um, so that's kind of how I ended those three years and do you know what the saddest thing was I really wanted to graduate like I really really wanted to have the opportunity to wear that um, graduation attire and feel like I'd achieved something but I didn't and, and it didn't happen so oh no we're on a cliffhanger I know what happened I definitely <laughs> did not graduate that year the following year so that was 2007 the following year um I got a job in the local authority and I ended up being there for 10 years. It's quite a long story. Amazing. So I ended up being in the local authority for 10 years. And the reason I got that job, I was thinking about that. It was the skills I developed from volunteering and it was the skills I de- developed from that teaching module. So right. even though yeah. I hadn't, you wouldn't really look back at my university time as successful per se, but actually there are still skills that I was able to take away from yes. it and the volunteering and the, you know, the job I'd had in the homeless hostel, those things had given me enough to get, um, oh, well, that I would just describe as a good job within the local authority. Yeah. So, you know, I feel like I left with all this debt and not much else, but actually it did give me some skills to, to gain some great employment. And I was there for 10 years. But it does tie into this graduation because I, I used to um, sit at a desk overlooking the Guildhall and every summer I'd see graduations and I'd have this like feeling of resentment that I hadn't yeah. done it yet yeah. and this feeling of, oh, I would love to do that. I would love to graduate. I would, and it kind of feels like it was because I hadn't been able to do it that I wanted it more. It wasn't necessarily yeah. the course. Yeah. It was more like, I want this sense of achievement and completion. Um, But what happened whilst I was within the local authority, they were asking if anybody wanted to study for a master's. And I said, oh, and also I'd kept it very quiet that I didn't have a degree. So everyone knew that I had been to university, but people didn't know that I'd left without a degree. I always left that bit out. So it was, you know, what university did you go to? I'd tell them. What course did you study? Nutritional science. I'd tell them. And then I'd leave leave the ending out nice so yeah so then when they were asking me to do this masters I was like oh I do but I'm gonna have to tell them (laughs) that I don't like I hadn't I hadn't lied on my application um I said I left with a HND but you know just general talk around the office I'd say you know this is where I went this is what I studied um so then I had to be a lot more clearer and say oh you know I actually left without a degree I don't know if I can study a master's I don't know if I would be accepted um but because I'd had so much time in employment and my master's is in public health and I'd been working in the public health team, the university agreed to take me on the master's course if I did it one module at a time. Oh. Yeah, to see if I was able to study at that level, to see if I was able to work and complete the master's. And it meant that my funding came in one module at a time. So it was perfect. There was no pressure on me then. I was also thinking about this. I was thinking, 
And I spent five years doing it. And I was thinking, oh, if I was listening to this and someone saying you spent five years part time on a master's, I wouldn't that wouldn't resonate with me as something as, that I would want to do. That sounds like a huge commitment in terms of time. But actually, just doing it one module at a time was really achievable for me. And it yeah. meant that I could show what I was capable of in that um, to that level, really, to that master's level. And it turns out that I found some really inspiring lecturers Amazing. that it that I really found this passion and this ignition into wanting to help and wanting to do more and public health does that for me it's it's just absolutely was the best possible thing I could have done or have been offered and I feel very very lucky that that was offered to me and that the university took me even though my background isn't really screaming yes she's going to achieve well Mm. so that took me five years and I did graduate so I mean oh I felt so proud really really proud it was it was yeah I felt really good but also during that time I'd had a baby and got married in that order (laughs) (laughs) so there was there was always other things going on for me And I wasn't sure what I was going to do afterwards because the job in the local authority, which this might be relevant for people listening as well, like I was always at risk of redundancy. I had really short, like one year contracts or we're restructuring again. You're going to have to have a slightly different job title or we're merging with another department. You're going to change roles again. And that that happened the whole time I was there for those 10 years. But I thought, okay, I want to do something else. And um, I'd spoken to somebody who had set up this wonderful project. Um, She was a teacher and had a PhD and she set up this um, project called Life Lab. And it's about inspiring secondary school children into medicine and into science. And I met her and I found her so inspiring. And she was like, yeah, I did my PhD. Then I became a teacher. And this is how I've kind of worked the two together into this. um, I think it's an absolutely amazing project. And I was like, okay, so maybe maybe having a teaching qualification is for me. So I left the local authority after those 10 years um, and did a PGCE in secondary science, which it's kind of an unusual route, I suppose. And that was one of the other things that I wanted to speak about for this call. So because I had the master's, but I still didn't have a degree, I'd looked at some PhD programs and it was still like, maybe I wouldn't get in or if there was some funding for it, it looked like you had to have a distinction in your master's and I had a merit. So I was still thinking I'm I'm not quite the candidate that they're looking for, for a PhD yet. So I left and did a PGCE in secondary science in some really difficult schools, actually. I was placed in two very challenging inner city schools, but I liked that. And I think my background served me well for that, which was a challenging year because I had a two-year-old and it's full-time and I've still got this doubt about my ability but I did it graduated again and then (laughs) it's just it's such a funny story so then I left and I was like okay am I going to teach what am I going to do I don't I don't really know but I felt like I didn't want to take a full-time teaching role 
with my young child when I'd been doing the training full time for a year and looking for part time teaching work is actually really difficult. Mm -hmm. So um, I took a zero hour contract with a alternative provision. So a school that focused on children with social and emotional and mental health challenges, which was okay for me in my situation. But again, if you're like I was I was okay at that point like I was married and my husband could financially support me but again if you're from a working class um background and family like that option often isn't there for you Mm. and and the same with the PhD that if you're not funded it's near enough impossible to be able to start that journey so I was really lucky that I was able to take this contract but then COVID hit um and I had no work. I had nothing because the school, a lot of the teaching was in the people's homes, home tutoring at all very, very small class sizes so that I wasn't needed on this zero hour contract. I'm one of a pool of teachers and we just weren't needed. So that was a, a really difficult time. But it led me to my PhD, a long, a kind of long winded way to how I ended up there. Um, so I saw a PhD advertised in the January and uh, through through the website, find a PhD, which uh, what people say to me, like, where did you see it advertised? I'm like, there actually is a website called find a PhD. Um, and it was advertised and it had funding attached to it. But again, I was thinking, you know, I didn't get a distinction at my master's. I don't have a degree. I've jumped from one thing to the next. you know are they really going to think I'm suitable for this but I had four weeks to get my application in and my the well the project is about health literacy and it's about supporting parents socially disadvantaged parents to improve their health literacy to manage minor common childhood illnesses so it's about empowering people upskilling people and I was like oh with my like the public health background and that desire to help and make a difference the sound of the PhD was Mm. just Mm. you know it's just so right for me I felt so I put the application in couldn't believe I got an interview like honestly could not believe that they were going to interview me and I felt I've never felt so sick before something because I think because I was in a situation now I I did take another job I just took a part-time job to kind of get some money and so I wasn't doing something I was particularly passionate about um I, I really wanted this PhD so much to have this opportunity to to contribute but um yeah, so I got, I got the interview and then I said to my husband, no, it was awful. Like my words were trembling. I was so nervous. I felt out of my depth. I felt really uncomfortable. And then they phoned me up the same day to say I'd got it. Right and, uh, and I said to my husband, I was like, I must have been the only person they interviewed. There must have, you know, there must have been a typo. They must have like the other people didn't get their emails. <laughs> like what's happened? And this, and again, I've from speaking to other people in this um, association of working class academics group that I'm a part of, this idea that you were just lucky or this idea that you don't deserve to be there is really, really common. Mm. And it's it's something that so many other people could relate to. So I took, obviously I took, I took the PhD and I started 
And I actually, I mentioned earlier that I started in January. So there were no other PhD students starting in January. So I've started again on my own as this person without any connections, without any friends, without any support. And again, my parents are like, what, what are you doing? Why are you going back to university? Why are you wasting all this time? What, you know, what are you actually doing? And like, I have to like leave that to one side because to me, what I'm doing is really important. But I, can't, I also can't be, I can't be needing their validation of it. I need to just be able to let that go. So differently for other people that are maybe in that situation where maybe others around them don't see the value in education or being a female or what or whatever it is that people are a bit like, mm, that's not really what you're you should be doing or what you're meant to be doing. I would say hey, that's fine, that's their opinion, but you just need to follow what's important for you and find those things that inspire you. Um so love it. I love yeah, it. Yeah. So <laughs> Oh yeah, sorry, Emma. Well, I was just—I was just going to say, there's so much in there and in that story, and we, the this sense of these themes that come through, and it really reminds yeah. me of the um, interview that I did with Valerie Young, who talks about imposter syndrome, and yes. talks really eloquently. I'm just going to say how amazing her book is again. Um, but this sense of because right from the beginning, when you said, you know, I. I I got a I got a distinction, but I didn't think I was good enough. <laughs> yeah. Like, she talks about how people, even when the evidence is there, when yeah. they called you for the interview, when they've given you a distinction, yeah. you're still like, actually, I'm not good enough. And these yeah. internal voices, we are our own best saboteurs, if that makes sense. Yes. Like, we are the people who know the buttons to press on ourselves. Yes. And actually, the importance of making friends with yourself, mm. finding that passion yes. um, and finding your people. That's been yes. the thing that's come for you and kind of keep going forward. Um, so tell us about your people. Tell us about yeah. the people that have, been, so that have been supporting you. My people came to me very unexpectedly because I didn't know there was a group of people I was going to connect with. Um, I received this email from... Um, student rep in my faculty just saying that there's going to be a talk on working class academics and it was open to everybody and I didn't really know I was like oh this is interesting like I think this you know this could be relevant to me I don't really know what it is so I, I went along um, and it's, it's actually um, international so there were people from all over the globe there and the meeting the first meeting that I went to um they were talking about microaggressions. And so, so the, the group are called the Association of Working Class Academics. Brilliant. And You'll we'll find them the on Twitter. People. Yeah, yeah we'll absolutely. Um, and they meet every, I think it's every couple of months at the moment, every kind of two to three months, there'll be an online meeting, which is another really good thing, actually. I was thinking that about, about COVID times and having these resources online. Actually, it's amazing because it puts me in contact with people, yeah, not only all over this country, but internationally to say, actually, this is how I feel. This is what it's been like for me. So they were talking about microaggressions and things people might face from their accents or mm. how they dress or those things about where you studied or what grades you've got and all those things. And it was just so nice 
to hear from other people say that's my experience too and the, the same about the um parents and families not valuing education there was quite a few other people some some families were really supportive of it but there was quite a number of people who had a very similar experience to me and I'm like oh my god that's amazing like it's a sigh of relief and a weight off my shoulders that I'm not the only person trying to wade through this PhD with this feeling that I don't fit in that I don't really it's really a feeling that I don't deserve to be there but now I found this group with a really similar experience I'm like oh okay this has given me a new lease of life to face this yeah it's been I couldn't believe it really and there's been some really interesting research about role models and how Mm. um and I can't I'm gonna do it great disservice because I can't remember exact details of it but this sense of having when there was a picture of a, on the wall of someone who kind of this, the, the person who was speaking could relate to they spoke because yes. they get they gave people the task of speaking on a particular topic to a group of people and when there was somebody on the wall that they could relate to yeah picture there they people spoke with more confidence they you know they, they delivered they took their time they didn't hurry they answered yes. questions more confidently so I think we can't underestimate that and I think what I love and what I was saying to you what I love about you sort of stepping up and speaking today is that that role model then for other people if yeah. other people are listening today and going do you know what actually I don't feel like I've got the cultural capital as bullshit yeah. Yes. would say to be doing this it's like that actually there's there's other things in the mix it isn't just oh. about cultural capital there are other things in the mix there um, and I certainly feel that as someone who was first generation going away to college and um, yeah. it, I think it is really really important and this association there to support people how amazing is that yes I couldn't believe I on when people were speaking I like got goosebumps I was like I cannot believe I really genuinely believed I was the only person that yeah. felt like that which is yeah. so yeah. like ridiculous and caught up in my own little world and I'd only been well, there think, a couple of months <laughs> exactly and I, I think you know our psyches are really powerful and those internal voices are really powerful because mm. we listen to them all day and because they know us so well so they know the things to say to us yes. <laughs> um, and so absolutely this sense of kind of isolation can be really paralyzing and actually yeah. you, you, as you said really eloquently throughout what you were talking about in terms of reaching out making contact that yes. is a really powerful way to support yourself and to turn the volume down on those voices. Yeah, definitely. They were, I just I just thought of something that had, that had happened. So um, in terms of being someone as well that's come from having a career or another job and then coming into uh, studying for a PhD, I had this weird transition around, you know, like, what? how do I claim money to go for a conference or how do I take leave? And I couldn't even ask my supervisor. It's taken me like four and a half months to ask what I do about taking some leave. I couldn't, I just couldn't get myself to, I've done it now, but it took me so long to say, what do I need to do? How do I, what's the process for that? What do I need to do? Because it, I'm so used to it in the, like, it's not something I would have to speak about. It would just be HR. This is what the process is. This is what you do. But actually having to say to somebody, how do I take a break from this? How, mm-hmm. how do I stop? And how do I check I'm okay? I, I felt really uncomfortable doing that. But I thought that was another thing that I'd want to say to other people any questions just ask them which is what I wish I'd done as an undergraduate and I, I, I'm not going to let the same mistakes ruin this opportunity for me. I love it I love that I love that statement <laughs> yeah. and I think that sense of it's what we talk about a lot here in terms of being in the driving seat of yeah. a PhD 
it's really really important and you know if you need a lot of what the people called on the I'm not good on the motoring um <laughs> motoring metaphors but you know the people who kind of come in and do amazing things on your car to make them go yes. you know when you're a, a rally driver and they they do the things like if you need a lot of people in your pit stop you need a lot yes. of people that's you know that's what they're there for they're there to help you and oh um, I do totally that. agree I Turbo totally charge agree. yourself <laughs> yes um so Sam I'm gonna I'm gonna ask the question now about the top tip. Yeah. What top tip would you give? You've given so much brilliant advice here, but what top tip would you give for people? I think my my top tip at the moment, which I hadn't noticed was kind of missing, but one of the things that I loved so much about the master's course was the inspiring lecturers that I heard talk about their own projects and their own research. And I'm finding that through my PhD, I'm not having obviously and in this time of COVID where I'm working at home on my own I'm not really having much contact with people that I'm like wow your work is inspiring me it's like it's motivating me so I say to people if you feel a little bit stuck in your everyday just to remind yourself what inspires you and what keeps you driven because to me it was feeling like oh my god that's stepping away from your project you shouldn't spend any time away from your piece of research from health literacy stop looking at this other work that's going on in other countries but actually I need that motivation I need to see what other work is going on out there in the world and Mm. I need to feel yeah just inspired I think so don't don't stop kind of fueling yourself with that motivation and, and inspiration in whatever way works for you that so much um sam thank you so much thank you so much for your generosity of spirit and kind of just opening up and letting us letting us take that journey with you and good luck with it all you don't need luck actually that's (laughs) you don't need luck because you've got your people you've got your passion you are all over this so i'm looking forward to talking to dr sam in the near future oh Um, thank you so much Emma. it's been wonderful and uh, thank you all for listening too. And don't forget um, to sign up to the newsletter too, because we always put some extra stuff in. And I, I really want to kind of go into a little bit more depth around um, some of these issues. So don't forget to uh, sign up on the website. Thank you all. Thank you, Sam. And thank take you. care. Take care. Bye bye.